Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now you can save $20 on the steel MS-162 or MS-170 chainsaw. Real steel. Offer valid through June 30th, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Out of the gates, ready to go. Outkick 360 is back. Thursday edition is here from 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine with Chad Withrow and Paul Koharski. I'm Jonathan Hutton, the entire Outkick crew making it happen. Big show planned today. Tony Baselli, Pro Football Hall of Fame finalist uh, with the Jacksonville Jaguars and on the radio call this weekend for Dallas and San Francisco. He will be with us today. Coming up in hour number two, Armando Salguero previews the wild card weekend with us in the final hour of today's show. And in 20 minutes, Trey Wallace of Outkick.com will be with us with all of the SEC headlines. Gentlemen, big show today. Good afternoon. Huge show. Fired up for this one. Tony Baselli coming on a little bit later. That's going to be exciting. And it's always great talking some college ball with Trey and some NFL with Armando at a great quarterback notes column. Uh, up at Outkick, you can read right now. So excited for today's show, excited to to bang some hats, Paul. I forgot to ask you guys about this while we were getting ready and hanging out. Uh, did, did you guys get in trouble for chewing gum in school? Uh, Sometimes. That's, that's a good so question. It was teacher to teacher. But, yeah, it, but it was more it, often than not. It wasn't allowed in like elementary school where, you know, kids are too little to understand not to put their, you know, uh, gum underneath the desk. Right, yeah. <laughs> so that was never allowed. Was but more, in junior yeah. high and high school, uh, yeah. For me, it was teacher to teacher. I was stunned to learn yesterday that in middle school, there is a whole gum economy that goes on. Like trading cartons of cigarettes in prison? Well, not quite that, but my kid like is Like team a pencils gum guy. back in our day when Hutton and He's I were in school? He's got gum in his locker. He's got people who come to him for hits of gum. He can get homework answers in exchange for gum. He can get the currency of the school, you know, which is like, you know, teachers give you a reward in sixth grade and then you can get in raffles for big items and stuff with this. He's got people begging him for gum. Other kids are out of the gum economy. They don't have gum. My parents, I guess, don't give them gum. But you can chew gum in class, which I'm astounded by in sixth grade that you can chew gum in class. If you got caught chewing gum in class when I was in school, you'd get in trouble. And if you were a repeat offender, you'd get a note home and Back then, when teachers were authority figures, that would get you in trouble. Paul, are you claiming that young Simon is sort of a Morgan Freeman-type character from Shawshank Redemption? Right now, he's the guy who can get you whatever you need inside, when you're inside those walls. I was kind of feeling like that when I was learning that I was an outsider in this whole gum economy thing. When I was thinking, you're chewing gum in front of your teachers? And it wasn't him. It was his mother who said... Oh, there's a whole gum economy in the, well, in the school. Well, just be thankful that it's gum that's being oh, traded. Yeah. I, I would, no, I would, I, be, I would rejoice in the fact that it's that innocent and that kids are just really wanting to chew gum a lot right now in uh, in middle school. Yeah, uh, is it worth thing. more? It's priming the pump. Is it worth more? Is it like pocket change if you have like double mint compared to what could be like bubblicious? 
I don't get the sense that minty gums are a popular gum in the sixth grade. It's a more I think of a fruity it's a fruity, gum. a fruity gum economy, but it'll expand, I think, when kissing becomes more popular. I'm looking forward to updates. Maybe not daily or weekly, but monthly. Just give us a monthly check in on what is the popular gum now? How well is Simon positioned to deal the gum? These are all questions we're well, going to have to have answered. I was a little if sleepy on this. If someone needs to die, they can die. Yeah. <laughs> you make a shank out of the gum container? <laughs> Who's his muscle? Because these aren't just gum packets. These are come in like cups and things. Like next time you're at Target checking out or, or at the oh, inconvenience yeah. market, there's gum come in all kinds of containers. Now, he got a lot of Let's gum for Christmas. In your car. That's when I should have been on to the game at Christmas when the stocking was <laughs> loaded with a lot of gum. Much of which he I got purchased. The loot. Got the but loot. I, I thought this was a long-term play. The gum, like he's going to have gum up until baseball season. I didn't realize it was to fill his locker so that he could be popular and have a lot of people stopping by the locker between periods going, hey, I need two blue and a red. So is he just is he just exchanging it for other gum or other things, not money involved in this? Because if I not, think he thinks he's missing, he's missing out. There might be like a quarter here and there, but it's more like uh, there's a homework element to it. And there's, uh, you know, these sunset bucks or whatever they are that he's not that interested in. Was well, he cha- he's exchanging gum for someone to do his homework? No, but I don't think he is, but people will. <laughs> what, what happens when, does the school get Most involved? people are getting ripped off. Does the school come in and uh, intervene when he's, he starts trading gum for dates to the school dance? <laughs> when girls come up and say, if you give me that double bubble, Four packs of it. I will go to the Sadie Hawkins Day dance. With oddly, you. does oddly, that become an issue with I the school? I don't know. Here's my biggest you know, concern: trading goods for services. If you know what I mean. My biggest concern is I'm picturing him in a classroom like this, you know, blowing bubbles. Feet up. Yeah, feet up. For the Paul fails to describe anything. <laughs> His feet are on the table. I'm doing the acting. I look for you to do the play-by-play. <laughs> blowing bubbles, and you know, next thing he's going to have a cigarette. It's a very small jump for me. In you this think kind it's of. A, to, to the prison An oral thing fixation type about. thing? That if you got you got to have something in your mouth at all times? I don't know. That's just things go away in a generation. And in my generation, chewing gum in class was bad. Well, in junior high, my, my, my sister used to work at a small store next to our house. So I would go by there every morning to get a bag full of Jolly Ranchers, which I'd sell for 25 cents a piece in middle school. Well, I told you this. And then in, I would eat I, like I, a king in, in the high cafeteria. School, in high school, we had two guys who got rich selling candy bars. And Mrs. Wacker got up in front of the assemble one day. Arlene Wacker, one of my two favorite teachers. And she said, the next person I see, the next person I see buying a candy bar in the hallway is going to spend Tuesday afternoon with me in detention. And I, I was starving that morning and I went straight to the guy and I was like, I got to have a Snickers. And she said, did you not hear what I just said? <laughs> and sure enough, Tuesday afternoon, I was with Arlene Paul, Wacker. I, there was a whole economy at Rutgers Prep on candy bars. Tuesdays with Wacker. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that extra credit. Um, I don't think that... Uh, that was 12th need, grade, uh, not 6th grade. I don't think you need to worry even better with a name like that in 12th grade. I don't think you need to worry about kids smoking as much now. That doesn't seem to be a thing. I'd worry Simon's more about very I'd worry more about special K than smoking. The last <laughs> I, don't know I was amazed K when is. Dan Dockett yesterday, Jacob Swanson does. You can ask him during the break. I was amazed. And we'll when, be back uh, after these words. Uh, Dan Dockett <laughs> mentioned smoking yesterday when he was talking about what do people in the end do? They smoke cigarettes. They talk. We're <laughs> really sauce. good at talking around shrimp here. Sauce. Shrimp, uh, spicy shrimp sauce, smoking cigarettes. And we talk in the state of Indiana. There was a lot of talking last night on, on Hard Knocks. 
I, uh, I'm curious what they said. I, I'm the one of us that failed to record and watch. Well, it sets up perfectly uh, the, the ending of their season because Frank Reich and all the assistant coaches are peppering home to the team. Like Jacksonville has, they've won. Uh, as long as we've been here, he gets up, it's like a Monday or a Wednesday morning. He gets up in front of the team and he's like, look, at Jacksonville, every, every year we've been here since 2018, we have lost there. And they expect that they're going to beat you. So lock in, because guess what? They can. And they're not wrong to think that they can win, because we haven't won there. And the whole week leads up to them just playing like complete crap in Jacksonville. Well, and it's... You said it well, Hutton, on that that team meeting during the week. And it, it was... I know what Frank Reich is getting at, and the message is is right, and that you're trying to prepare your team for the other team playing their best of the season and believing and you have to take that belief from them and you got to go win. But the way he worded it, it was almost like uh, when Derek Dooley had the sign that said the opportunity is nowhere. (laughs) What he was trying to say opportunity is now here, but it read opportunity is nowhere because he said it in a way that was they're over there talking about how they've beaten you every year here since 2014. They're talking about game plans where they believe that they, they are going to beat you. And you know what? They're right. <laughs> I see. That's what he said. I'm like, what? He's really telling the future here about what's going to happen. I have a much different mentality going in and playing some really bad teams, personally. Like, again, to me, the top teams in the league should treat the bottom feeders like bottom feeders. And there should be a swagger and a moxie and a confidence and an alpha mentality that you're going to win against one of the worst teams in football. A team that mails it in this time of year routinely over the last decade, except for 2017. And all week, there was this, I don't, there was no optimism in any of the conversations of that show behind the scenes. It was doom and dread, and you get ready for a fist fight, and, you know, they're, they're going to try to win the battle of the trenches. They, there was a talk with Jonathan Taylor at practice where they're like, look, uh, the running backs coach came up to him, who I really like in the show. Scotty Montgomery, and uh, he was good. Yeah, and he was like, look, we're going to run the ball 15 times, and if we can average three to four yards, he goes, if you get four yards a clip, you break one, maybe that's early, maybe that's late, we're going to win the game. It wasn't anything in-depth or you know in- informative on what Jacksonville was going to do. It was more on them. And Reich and everyone else at practice, Chad, I don't know if you took the same vibe. As I-, I felt as though he was really, really concerned about his team not being ready to go. And there was no vibe or effort. Um, you, you had uh, DeForest Buckner in the meeting. At, he was asked by his position coach if he was going to be ready to go. And he, he was like, I, I mean, I guess. I'm going to listen to my body, but I'll find out. And there was just this awkward silence. They, they, were, um, they were headed down that path the entire show, and the storyline played out perfectly, it, it, especially when you knew the result before you turned the show on. Yeah, and I, so... Fans thinking about a matchup in a game, I, I want to go back to mindset of what you talked about, Hutton. When, in the way you think about it, when you see an inferior opponent that's on their last leg, you, you crush them. You go into it with the mindset that we are superior, let's go show it. Let's not play scared. Let's exert our dominance against a weaker opponent. That is what you want your team to carry into a game and play that way, right? Fans think of games against bad opponents and get scared. And nervous. That's a natural yes. fan instinct when you're really invested in something and you have no say over the outcome. Your, your thinking is, 
I really hope my guys take this team seriously and play like they're better. Play like what Hutton is saying you should play like against the lesser team. But fans think of it a different way. They think, oh gosh, this can be really embarrassing if they go to Jacksonville and lose. I'm watching the Colts prepare on hard knocks, and I'm thinking they're almost looking at it like a fan would look at it. You know, they almost took a fan's mindset into the game, and it was just lethargic. Lee F. Schreiber, who is the, the voiceover narrator for all things HBO Sports, is the longtime voiceover narrator of Hard Knocks. And he's got a line in there about when you think it couldn't happen, the worst possible scenario that the coaches prepared for was going, what's happening. The Jags were playing out of their minds and they were playing lethargic or something along those lines. And I'm watching this thinking to myself, well, yeah, they're playing lethargic because the whole week was lethargic and worried almost. And also, how do you go into a win and end scenario if you were truly committed to the team and moving forward and played lethargic? I, I, I would almost understand you're overly hyped up and you may make a couple mistakes because you're trying to force the issue because you're trying to dominate the opponent. They were just out of it from the beginning, which was weird. Jim Irsay was there, and when they flew back to Indianapolis, uh, according to reports not in the show, he called his end-of-season meeting immediately uh, at the team facility to speak with both Chris Ballard and Frank Reich. And we'll get to Chris Ballard's comments uh, uh, from his press conference today later in the show. Uh, we assume Frank Reich's going to be back. We know Mike Vrabel's going to return. Breaking news out of the NFL, David Culley has been fired after one year with the Houston Texans. So, Houston is open and Jacksonville is open inside the AFC South among the other openings across the league. We'll hit more on the openings with uh, Armando Salguero today at 520 Eastern. But here's David Culley who inherited a mess. We said in the preseason this guy was doomed to fail, um, took the job and then immediately was asked to try to help and coax back Deshaun Watson to the team who had demanded a trade. And then all of the sexual assault allegations came against Watson after all of that. And Cully tried his best. And his team was playing hard. But ultimately, and I, I said this last week, I'll say it again and repeat it, being a nice guy doesn't keep your job. No. You need to win. And, uh, that- and, and that's what makes Brian Flores, everyone's, oh, he's, such, you know, he's, he's hard to work with. Doesn't matter to me. Is he winning or not? That keeps your job. There are some real tough guys to work with across the league and across college football. Uh, my guess is Bill Belichick and Nick Saban are not easy to work with, but they win at an extremely high level. Flores was a surprise because they end the season winning eight of their final nine games, and he's fired. Cully was doomed to fail, and to me, guys, this is an indication that they have Josh McDaniels or Flores or someone within that Patriots pipeline oh, that's about to take the job. Yeah, they're, they're not going to interview... 12 guys like Miami's going to do. And I think teams should interview a ton of guys if you're starting from scratch. This is a pre-prescribed deal. They'll fulfill the Rooney obligation. They'll hire somebody, uh, maybe not very quickly, but very directly. And Cully was, was a pawn in this whole thing. Yeah, That's the disappointment. Not that he's a nice guy, but that they used somebody the way they and used this- him uh, to mop up their mess and be their daily spokesman while they hid Deshaun Watson uh, behind a barrier, and he had to answer all the questions and all of that. That's no BS. doubt. And I, I, let's add this in. You know, uh, John McClain, who comes on weekly with us from about week four on, was being told that Cully was going to be back. This is something that, uh, that occurred the night before week 18 when reports started to surface that the Texans 
may make a move. And McLean and, was saying that in the press box on Sunday. And, and he right, was saying, I don't know. It seems like there's something afoot. There's something going on. There, there was movement there that ultimately led to this, what, five days later, that maybe it was bubbling underneath the surface for a month or so, but everyone was expecting Cully to get at least one more year because everyone was also expecting, and I'm not buying it now, that Davis Mills and – you're moving. You're coming back with Terod Taylor and Davis Mills for another year as your one-two or however order you want to go in. It seems like it's Mills and then Taylor now. I would throw that out the window with all the quarterback movement that we could see this offseason with a new head coach coming in. There, there is a, there's a lot of interesting questions to ask as to why Cully's out after one year despite what he inherited. One more thing on the Colts as we get towards a break here. He, uh, um, and and uh, Dockage was pointing this out. We say this week to week, like in a weekly loss during the season, you're not going to see guys throwing chairs and stuff, generally speaking. It's their job. They're pissed off for a little bit, but they have to get back to work. This is an end-of-season scenario, though, where you expect to see guys pissed off. Season abruptly comes to an end when you expect it to live on and everything. Dockich was saying, didn't, I didn't see guys pissed off. And this Isaac Rochelle puts out a TikTok that's like, ever wonder what it's like for a guy on his way home from a football game with, you know, putting his stuff on the security carriage going through the airport and looking at the candy bar selection. Hutton, you've told us about the, the team flight and stuff. <laughs> you know, that just, if I was a Colts fan, I would say, of all the times you're going to show me what a flight home is like, pick one of the wins during a regular season, dude. Don't make me feel like you're cool to get home. Chad, the other this. the other big observation I had was how much Carson Wentz just accepted the defeat immediately oh, after they lost. He was hugging, uh, he was going over and talking with Trevor Lawrence and be like, "Hey, man, most uh, I want you to have the most success, but not against us, of course." And he's he's like smiling as he goes off the field with this Jonathan one needs Taylor. To take a while. This is the one that he's Wentz is about to get traded. Yeah, and he's Who's he's, trading for? he's got a goofy grin on his face. He's is got it, an easy contract to trade for. Well, he's walking out of the facility the next day, and he's got a goofy grin on his face as he walks out. I mean, you are a reflection of your leader. And the quarterback is the leader. And I watched that Colts performance and their reaction to it and think, well, this is a perfect reflection of Carson Wentz. Also, you the know you've got cameras on you. You've had cameras on I, you all I saw, season. I saw He's a, acting. Couple big, a couple big you observations. should act upset. M- maybe I'm reading too much into this also. The Carson Wentz one was one I wanted to get to that, that you nailed, Hutton. And I agree with. I saw one guy get upset. There was a defensive back. I forget his name. He chucked his helmet. When the Jags went up twenty-three to three, more maybe, and threw it on the side, and that was yeah, the was one time. And then there's a, you know, there's somebody clapping and hugging. Still got time, guys. There's three minutes left in the third quarter, only twenty points. They are a reflection of Carson Wentz. They're a reflection of Frank Reich, who seems like a very nice man. I think he knows a lot of football, but when you're up there, something's missing. When you're in the locker room after the game, saying, "Hey, this is fine. Maybe it just wasn't our year." we are who the people are in this room right now and we've got the right people to do this and this is just the beginning and we're going to get better and then you come back the next day and there's not even one moment of anger there's not one emotional line from them the next day is the same exact speech when they're in the auditorium and he's addressing the team of hey we've got the right people in this room and it's going to be fine and then you've got this awkward gift exchange where Jonathan Taylor's giving his offensive line luggage and the the symbolism of giving them luggage on their day out where they're not going to the playoffs and they're having to accept it 
and it looks like the offensive line is actually upset and they're oh well thanks man appreciate you JT and he's having to give this speech to the guys it was it was almost painful to watch I, I tell you what it wasn't even painful because I don't feel like they were in a lot of pain there was an assistant quarterback coach who put his head on his desk and was massaging his temples in anger the day after that looked legitimately bothered by the loss. There weren't a lot of other people that seemed bothered by it in the Colts organization. He had the luggage ready. There's some symbolism in that. You have the luggage ready in case you lose each week. You're going to have it ready. Give it at Christmas. It was Louis Vuitton. It was a bag, you know, travel bag from Louis Vuitton that he gave to his offensive line. Ray Wallace because he used that luggage. He stayed in Indy for about a week. Uh, last week we will catch up with Trey momentarily with the latest SEC football and SEC hoops headlines there was a massive blowout last night oh. <laughs> and a fake account uh, reporting uh, uh, the the fake firing of a coach we'll tell you about that uh, also coming up we will talk with Tony Baselli and we will discuss all of the NFL coach openings with Armando Salguero and a big preview of the NFL weekend ahead first though Aurora NutriScience and VitaLifeScience.com our trusted partner that keeps OutKick 360 mentally sharp and healthy. Aurora delivers your supplements where you need them the most, your body. VitaLifeScience.com, V-I-D-A-LifeScience.com is where you can see more information. Our OutKick 360 season ticket holders, everyone viewing, listening, you receive a 15% discount with the code OutKick360. Typical pills, capsules, not well absorbed. In fact, most only absorbed in small, very small amounts. Your digestive system breaks these pills down until there's little left for you to benefit from. But here's Aurora, unique cutting-edge nutritional and absorbable supplements encapsulated in liposomes, and that ensures greater absorption in the body's bloodstream. VitaLifeScience.com, V-I-D-A, LifeScience.com for more info. 15% off with the code OUTKICK360 at VitaLifeScience.com. Coming up, one thing, at least one big thing, on every wildcard game across the NFL weekend, and PK talks Julio Jones. Outkick 360 rolls on. Shout out to Jacob Swanson, Jonathan Moulton, David Reed, who is the chairman of the board. They make the show happen for us each and every day at 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. We also say hello and uh, a shout out to Trey Wallace, Outkick.com. Fabulous work, boots on the ground in Indianapolis for the national championship coverage of Alabama and Georgia. Trey joins us each and every Thursday at this time. Trey, hope you're doing well, and I uh, hope the travel back was better than the travel there. Yeah, it was uh, It was a lot easier back. I mean, I was running on about an hour's worth of sleep because uh, we didn't get back to the hotel until 3.30, and then we had Kirby Smart at 9 o'clock, but yeah, no spin outs, anything on the way back. It was it was smooth. Rowling, just about four cups of coffee got me back to Knoxville, so I'm good. I, I realize uh, they split the head-to-head matchups this year, Alabama-Georgia. But how does Georgia's win over Bama for the championship impact the SEC moving forward? Are we now about to turn into uh, a show or uh, we're going to have discussions on how everyone's chasing Georgia instead of everyone chasing Bama, or am I reaching too far there? I think it's just a it's a, it's a fresh start for the conference and, and a fresh look. Having Georgia as your national championship, you don't go through the whole offseason talking about, ah, Bama did it again. Okay, what are they going to do in 2022 to match that? And, and also it takes away from the headlines of, okay, Kirby Smart couldn't get it done again. Kirby Smart couldn't beat Nick Saban, couldn't beat Alabama, couldn't win the big one again. I, I think that narrative 
would have taken over Georgia, which would have affected the SEC, let, let's be honest, because you look at what Georgia did during the regular season, that defense was incredible. I, I look at that Alabama game in the SEC championship and the way they played there. I, I think, you know, they just didn't bring it home when it comes to, to tackling Bryce Young like they did in the national championship game. So I, I think it impacts the SEC in a good way. I, I think it's something different. I, I think it gives us something to look at during the offseason, especially in the SEC East, it's like, okay, who's going to be somebody that can go up against Georgia? Who can catch Georgia the quickest in the East and cause them problems? So it gives us different storylines, and then it also gives us the old, hey, Nick Saban lost the championship. How's he rebound next season? Well, and it, I think people might laugh if because I'm going to ask the question about how can the SEC be even better, and people may snicker and say, well, I think they're doing just fine right now uh, with an all-SEC national championship, but – Top to bottom, when you look at the conference right now, very top-heavy, and you've got those elite coaches, ones that have won a national championship or many. Kirby Smart now joins the ranks. He's an elite coach in college football, no doubt about it. He's got his national title now. Jimbo Fisher won a national title. He's recruiting at an elite level. He's at a program that can be elite. Nick Saban, obviously elite. After that, I'm looking at... Josh Heupel, Billy Napier now at Florida, Shane Beamer at South Carolina, Lane Kiffin at Ole Miss. Someone, Brian Kelly with a big hire, someone needs to step up and not just some one, Trey. I think two or three need to step into that next realm and actually compete with these programs uh, year in, year out. What do you think the chances are of that happening? Do you agree, agree with me that that needs to happen? Chad, I, I do agree with you that it needs to happen because it's it's – it's been Georgia in the East, and it's been Alabama in the West. You know, besides LSU, we're not taking anything away from their national championship two years ago. But you look at, you just said it, you look at the coaches that are in the conference, just look at the Western division. I mean, you got Brian Kelly, Jimbo Fisher, Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, Nick Saban. You just, you, you look at that and you think, okay, all these good coaches near, somebody's got to start battling Alabama again. Somebody, you know, get back up to where LSU was two years ago and what they had with Joe Burrow in, in, in that offense. Um, I think when you, you look at it from, you know, the eastern side of it, a little bit more difficult. You know, Shane Beamer, Billy Napier, Josh Heupel, they've got a lot of work to do to catch up to Kirby Smart in the east. But I think overall, from a coaching standpoint, in the amount of big names and the amount of attractive jobs that are there in the conference and let's not forget too in two years you're going to have Oklahoma and Texas joining this conference as well so it's all about who's going to take that next step in the next two years because when Texas and Oklahoma get in okay you're just adding more juice to this thing and you're adding more big time coaches so I'm very interested now who can rise up to the challenge from those coaches that you named because you know Lane Kiffin like I don't know if Lane Kiffin Lane Kiffin not going to win a national championship at Ole Miss. I think we can all agree on that. But his name, what it carries, what he did this past season, he is one of those big time names in the conference. You know, in 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 the same thing with Brian Kelly. You know, I don't think Brian Kelly is going to be winning a national championship in the next two years because what's happened is Texas A&M has now passed LSU when it comes to overall talent. I believe in their program, especially with what they're doing in the recruiting class. Even though LSU won a title two years ago. So it's very interesting to see how the coaches 
are going to play out in this conference and what they can do to start catching up with Alabama, even though they're close, catching up with Alabama, and then in the East, catching up with Kirby Smart. A lot of people watch a national championship game, obviously, but the ratings were poor in the context that we look at them. You know, I, I, I give some room there for it being a regional game with two teams out of the same conference. I give some room there out of it being a rematch. But is it concerning to you that that it's down like that? Is it something that, that people need to take note of, uh, beware of, and, uh, I don't know, address in some way, shape, or form? Paul, I don't, I don't think so. I think, look, the two best teams in college football played for a national championship on Monday night. There, there's no denying that. There was nobody better than Georgia and Alabama this year. Um, I, I think when it comes to viewership and, and television ratings, yeah, I'm sure you know, the, the four-letter network would have loved to have something bigger when it comes to you know, viewership, when it comes to you know, helping them out with the ads that, that were being paid for. I get that part of it. But I look around the country, and I have to say, too, I, I imagine a lot of people tuned into that football game um, in, in different variety, in different ways, maybe different times during that game. Maybe that number would be a little bit bigger if they look at it in the first quarter, second quarter, however you want to play it out. Um, it got late, too. I mean, people that aren't into Georgia and Alabama, I, I, maybe they watched up until the fourth quarter and decided to, to, to click the remote and turn off the TV. I mean, this game didn't end until – right at midnight. So I, I, I look at it overall and I think, okay, yes, the ratings were down compared to previous seasons, but I don't think it's that big of a hit because of who it was, because of Nick Saban, because of Kirby Smart. Because I imagine a lot of people were tuning in on Monday night to see Nick Saban lose. And let's just be honest, um, to see him get knocked off that pedestal for one game and to see Kirby Smart do that. I, I just don't know if the, the number is going to reflect. It, it's been a weird time in television. We all know that. Um, and, and I don't think it really matters in the long run. Chad may be headed here. The four-letter network wasn't even crackling with anticipation for it, though. He pointed well, out somebody said PTI that day led with three NFL stories before it got to it. So the anticipation didn't feel like it was there. That That's kind of my Well, it, it, it did and didn't because that show wasn't talking about it, but every single game, anything you turn to on any ESPN network or show, every commercial break, every promo is around the college football playoff and the national championship game, and understandably so. Here's what kills me, though, Trey, about this, is college football and the commissioners have a chance to improve the sport and its national interest by expanding the playoff but because Jim Phillips and Kevin Warren of the ACC and Big Ten are mad at Greg Sankey for doing something and bringing Texas and Oklahoma in that they feel is detrimental to national college football, their response to that is to have two wrongs and not do something that's going to help college football, even though this is something that really won't help the SEC, but the SEC is agreeable to it because it will help things nationally. And oh, by the way, the one commissioner who's okay with it is the guy who runs the Pac-12, who read, who ran MGM, entertainment, sports book, everything else. A businessman is the one saying, "Yeah, I'm all for expansion. Any way you want to do it, let's sign up for it." Pac-12 commissioner's smart. Yes, he, he sees money. He sees money, and and that's the thing. Like you know, and I'm, and I'm paraphrasing here on on the exact comment. Not but because Greg of Sankey, him, but they are. Right, Greg Sankey said something along the lines of, "Look, if you come here and." you're trying to get everything on your Christmas wish list, you're not going to have a good Christmas. Pretty much saying you're coming to the table with all these stipulations 
and there, and you're not willing to have any kind of wiggle room on what we're asking for or looking for when it comes to college football expansion in the playoffs. So when you have the Big Ten coming at you and they have a long list of things and they're not willing to budge on anything, but then you look at it and you're like, well, okay, wait a minute. You guys got pissed off at us for expanding our conference when, by the way, you guys could have expanded as well in the Big Ten if you wanted to, however you wanted to play that out. But then you look at all the money that the Southeastern Conference is driving in right now and for the Big Ten to sit back and even the Big 12, however you want to play that with the two teams that are leaving and complain and moan or the ACC as well about, okay, look at all this money. The SEC is only going to profit more. They're just building up. for Yeah, this is what Greg Sankey does. He's built up the biggest and the baddest conference in the country, and he's left the competition in the dust behind them. And what has happened? They have thrived when it comes to to revenue from, from TV sales. They have thrived when it comes to, you know, bowl revenue, uh, this new contract that they're going to have with the four-letter network, making extreme amount of money. So when I look at it overall and you look at expansion and how that could help, I don't understand why they can't figure out and come to a conclusion on, okay, maybe eight teams would work, maybe not 12, but maybe eight teams could work, and maybe we could fit a couple more teams in. You're just losing out on money, and you're making yourself look bad to begin with. Because, uh, look, the whole conversation this year about college football, a good amount of that has been on expansion to the playoffs. And the fact that we're still sitting here today, they can't come up with any kind of agreement or any kind of resolution or even something to go forward with, I think that just makes the other conferences look bad. And I credit the Pac-12. They're like, hey, look, okay, we're out here on the West Coast. You know, our, our ratings are not as good as everybody else's. You know, the revenue's not as good, but we want to jump in. We'll do whatever it takes to jump into the boat and make this work. I think it's a bad look for the Big Ten. I think it's a bad look for the ACC. And if this keeps on going down this road, the SEC is going to say, okay, hey, we're good. We tried. We tried to spread the money out to you. You guys weren't willing, and this is where we'll stand. Well, personally, the, the Pac-12 feels like uh, an MTSU getting a payday to go play Georgia right now. Because Bingo. Where else are they going to go, Trey? I mean, the Big Ten has the Big Ten Network, and they've got a television partner. Uh, so right. same thing with the Big 12. Same thing with the ACC. Pac-12, I can't find them on TV. I can find them Pac-12 after dark on ESPN, who's in bed with the SEC. They have no other option. They're broke. And it's, it's a clear path to getting money now instead of 2026. The other conferences are trying to figure out how they're going to counter the network they don't trust and the conference they don't trust. And they haven't figured that out yet, so they're playing hardball because they can. Well, Jonathan, let's not forget, too, with the Pac-12 being on the four-letter network, you know, usually they have those games. You know, on Saturday night, sometimes they go to the West Coast and we see a USC versus Washington game or – even a Notre Dame, USC, however it plays out. With this new SEC contract that's coming in in the next few years, that's going to change because the SEC, you're going to see a lot of them have that 7 o'clock kickoff that the Pac-12 used to have, and then the Pac-12 is now going to get moved back, okay, to that 9 o'clock mm. kickoff type of thing. That's how it affects. But the Pac-12 realizes this, and they understand it because of revenue. The SEC brings in revenue, the Pac-12 Nah, not really at the moment with their network. And, so, I, and I want to see what the new guy does. I mean, he inherited right. Larry Scott's absolute dumpster fire uh, in the Pac-12, and it is encouraging to me that he's at least willing to expand the playoff because he knows that's a conference that needs money. And I said it before, Lincoln Riley to USC is great for the Pac-12, 
and they need someone else to step up. Utah's a preseason number four in a way too early top 25. They need that badly. They need some sort of relevance. And quite frankly, the state of California's politics are killing that conference right now because they can't have fans or coaches that want to go coach there because they don't care about sports because they're not gathering currently. That, that's a problem, too. It's, it's weird, For anyone too. that's it, got that job. Right. No, 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 no. And I, and I get it. It's weird for schools like USC and, and UCLA and, and Cal and whatnot for, for everything that's going on out there. And that's a discussion for a different day. But the fact that, you know, the new commissioner is willing to play ball in this situation, I think that sheds light on, hey, look, OK, we just got Lincoln Riley in our conference. Give us maybe two more years. I bet we can up the ante when it comes to coaches we can get over here in this conference. And then we are more viable for you guys to put on our networks and have conversations about in the future. I think that's the key thing that the Pac-12 is doing. The Big Ten, they're going to continue to look dumb if it's just Ohio State, Michigan, and then you've got this Big Ten network that nobody cares about unless Ohio State or Michigan are playing at 12 o'clock or 2 o'clock in the afternoon, and that's the only way they can find them. Nobody cares about the Big Ten network. Nobody. In the ACC network, it's just as worse. Nobody's watching the ACC network unless Duke is playing basketball on a Wednesday night, and that's the only way you can find them. Trey Wallace, always a great convo. Uh, we, we enjoy it, Trey. Great work this Appreciate week, you. and uh, we'll continue to read Thanks, your work buddy. at OutKick. Hey, guys, thanks so much. We'll have some great coverage of college basketball, SEC hoops this weekend, big-time matchups in the SEC. Have you covered with some uh, some SEC football roundup as, as we get ready for the uh, 2022 year. So thanks, guys. Appreciate y'all. Conzo Martin, you, not Trey. fired, by yeah, the way. That's fake news. Not yeah. fired. Coming out of not Knoxville, fired. not from Trey, but it's fake news, fake account. He is not fired. He's still the coach. Coming up, we've got one big thing for each wild card matchup this weekend, uh, plus uh, an outside-the-box name, for the Texans that I believe we'll start to hear about uh, whenever we figure out whether or not Josh McDaniels is going to be a head coach and again. it's not Joe not. Judge. Not Joe Judge. Not Joe Judge. This is Outkick 360. David Culley out as the head coach of the Houston Texans. Uh, there is, some, for some reason, like this shock from NFL media that he's been fired. That's uh, because they think somebody's made it when they get this far in the week, which is silly. Some... No, it's, it's because he's likable and he's vaccinated. <laughs> I mean, that's that's, that's why well, they're all they, they, they're all vaccinated. They they feel sorry for a guy that they like, and they're ripping him. They're, they're ripping you know Joe Judge, who they don't like. Who's fired after two years? David Culley, though, they're, they're saying he got a raw deal. He knew when he signed up. He only had two years of guaranteed money as a head coach. You know when you sign that contract that you're you're a bridge. Um, I, I wonder who the bridge is for, though. Well, I too am sympathetic to a guy that got treated as poorly as he did. Well, I, I just tweeted His out. owner's a jerk. I just His tweeted GM's out. He should be thankful that he was fired so he doesn't have to work for this inept organization. Same thing for Brian Flores, quite frankly. Yeah, I have yeah, no problem. No, no coach thinks like that. Well, I mean, I understand what you're saying, and I, and I agree, but nobody wants to go down like that. I have no problem if you can upgrade, upgrade. If that's what the Texans sure. are saying, you know, you go and you, this guy, you know, is not great. We can go hire someone we think is great. That's fine. I just hate it <laughs> that I thought his team played hard, at least. Like, I thought they were playing for him, playing for each other, whatever, at the end of the year. But, I mean, these are the breaks. This ain't show friends. Yeah. This is show business. He needs to work on clock management. And if management. they think you can win bigger with someone else, then you're going to get replaced. It's really but that simple. What's your what's your faith level in Cal McNair and Easterby being involved in a good hire? Very low. Very low. Absolutely. 
Um, well, but, you know, if there's been talk even dating back to last year about Josh McDaniels and the, the other Patriots assistant that has been in New England now for two or three years, maybe, Gerard Mayo, uh, who's been a defensive assistant there. Uh, so there are some ties there with the Texans, and that's, that's the expectation is that they're going to hire someone with ties to the New England the organization. The thing about Mayo is that Casario is close enough to the organization to know. It's hard for an outsider to know what Gerard Mayo's doing there because they don't they don't have a conventional spreadsheet. Yeah, that's why he's interviewing coaching, in like two or three spots. Yeah, defensive coaching tree, you know, with Belichick being a defensive guy, his son having power on that side of the ball, and so you don't know. So – Casario, I'm sure, feels like he has a much better bead on on what Mayo's doing and not doing on that side of the ball. I think Mayo's an interesting candidate. But like this article we were talking about yesterday by Kevin Clark at The Ringer, you know, Gerard Mayo could be great. But what's Gerard Mayo's number one thing? He's connected to Belichick. And how much success have we seen from guys connected to Belichick? We've seen it fail far more than it succeeded. We were talking Flores looks promising. Right. Yep. Uh, McDaniel's having learned what he's learned. Maybe I'm really put off by the Indianapolis bailout as much as I'm put off by the failures of Denver. The failures of Denver for him might be like Belichick's failures in Cleveland. Maybe. But other than that, you've seen a lot of guys try to be Belichick who aren't Belichick. The other, and I'm going to get to one thing on every NFL game later in the show. The other clickbait thing that just bugs me with the national media and those covering the league just wanting to get retweets is immediately when David Culley's fired, they point out how, how many African-Americans are now head coaches in the, in the league, which is one. Because over the last three days, we've seen what happened in Miami and Houston. What they failed to mention is that the Giants, the Texans, the Jags, the Broncos, the Dolphins, the Vikings, the Bears, and maybe the Raiders are all going to be hiring coaches. Eight spots. 25% eight of spots. the league is open, and they don't mention that in the tweet when they say one of 32 coaches. And they, it's clickbait. It is a retweet uh, galore sensation for everyone who wants to list Mike Tomlin as the one name. Yeah. That Assess can change over full. the next two weeks. Like, allow these organizations to go through the interview process. And I'll also say this. Owners can hire and fire whoever they want. If they want David Culley fired, they'll fire them. It doesn't matter skin color here. And I don't, I don't understand why we're, we're still at a point where they want to, you know, the Dove Climbins and the RE, uh, My Sports Update. I mean, they're all sending out these tweets. There's currently one African-American head coach in the NFL, and it's Mike Tomlin. What a joke. It's, it's not a joke because the other teams can still hire them. Uh, allow the teams to go through the process. Well, I, I would say Joe Judge was an incompetent head coach. He got fired after Absolutely. two years. Uh, you know, uh, Guys should get chances, and I think guys will get chances. I mean, it, it, I think Brian Flores is going to be a head coach again. Absolutely, somewhere. And Gerard uh, right Mayo is just going to go somewhere else. And we just talked about Gerard Mayo being, you know, well, hot, Jim Caldwell, Leslie Frazier. I mean, they're, they're all being interviewed. Jim Caldwell's agents talking like he's got jobs to decide between that he's that he could have right like now. He's, like he's Greg Williams. I mean, yeah. I, I'm, my point is, and I, and I hope that the interview process is fair yes. in all this. But this is just strumming up and stirring the pot for the sake of getting people stirred up on Twitter. That's all this is about. And it's, um, it, it's lazy. It's, it's lazy by people that I follow and people that, that, who send out good information. But this is just a weak 
uh, attempt to get retweets and follows. That's all it is. I, I agree. I, I think it's it's an easy one to put out there, and you know that by commenting on race, you know it's going to be retweeted right. and liked by a, a lot of people. And it's uh, to me, it's disingenuous also. And Tomlin of, has a job of, because of he's really good. This out there. He's a really good coach. A great coach. That's yes. why that's why he, he's not uh, a part of the, the the Monday firings around the league. Second longest ten, tenured in the NFL, right? Behind Belichick. He's kept that job that long for a reason. He's very good. Coming up, PK discusses Julio Jones. We'll take you through some expectations for Julio going into the postseason. An and email. The game that he's coming off of, coincidentally, in Houston.